The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Time now for another Future Sox podcast. Joining me via Skype is Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. Jim, I really appreciate it. Uh, we talked a couple of months ago, but thanks again for joining me. Oh, yeah, no, glad to be here. Glad, always fun talking White Sox. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a fun system to talk about. Let's Before we get to the Sox draft and the Sox system, uh, we spoke, I look back, it was actually almost two months ago to the day, uh, right when you know the season was getting started. Uh, the minor league season definitely getting started. The, the major league season had been going for, I don't know, about 10 days or whatever it was. We've seen a lot of players from other organizations um, be called up. Most notably, you know, obviously Vlad, Vlad Jr., of course, um, but then a guy that we talked about, Austin Riley as well, he's been um, on a tear for the uh, Braves. So uh, some of these top guys, or what have been some of your thoughts on some of these top guys that have been called up? Yeah, I mean, I, it seems to me like the younger players in general are, are, are more advanced you know, than they were 20 years ago. I just think they get so many more reps against quality competition at a younger age. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got off to a little bit of a slow start, but then he, you know, after the first you know two or three weeks, even though he's one of the youngest guys in the major leagues, you know he, he's hit kind of like we all expected. And, and Victor Robles has been really good this year. And you know you mentioned you know Austin Riley has you know helped the the Braves almost you know surge into first place in the uh, in the NL East. You know Nick Senzel you know has battled some injuries, but you know once he got healthy, he's been really good. You know obviously with the with the team you care about the most, right. you know Eloy Jimenez got a little bit of a slow start, and his numbers have been creeping up and. You know, I mean, he's going to control the strike zone a lot better than he has to this point. I think maybe he was trying to do a little bit too much too soon. But, you know, the, the same can't. You know, I mean, he's 22 years old. He's on a 32 homer pace, which is pretty good for a 22-year-old in his first taste of the big leagues, too. So I, I, I still think he's going to be a star. It's just it's, it's really interesting to me how many of these guys come up and seem to produce very quickly. So let's talk about some of the other guys that are still in the uh, top 100. You know, for, for myself, you know, I'm always watching prospects and, and following prospects, not just of the White Sox, but of other teams, always intrigued me. So I guess that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But um, some of these other guys, you know, we're not going to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr., right? even though he's still on the uh, list, but, uh, you know, he's had some time. Um, a guy that <clears> – so I live, I live in South Bend now, and uh, the, the Cubs built this new apartment complex, so I actually live right here by the stadium, and I was able to – uh, see Bowling Green play a couple nights last night. Uh, Shea McClanahan pitched one night, and then, of course, Wander Franco um, plays for, for the Hot Rods. Uh, Franco, 
I mean, he's going to be obviously number one overall here once Tatis graduates. Graduates, but for the for the people out there that don't know who this kid is, kind of tell them a little bit about him because this kid is this kid's something special. He's only 18. Yeah, I keep calling him. <laughs> I'm trying to make this stick. I keep calling him Vladimir Guerrero the third because he, he's basically <laughs> on the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. path. Except he outperformed him in the Appy League. You know, last year he was in the Appy League at age 17, like Vlad was, and he was the MVP, and he he had an ops of over a thousand, and, and was tremendous. And you know, in Midwest League, which I think is the hardest place to hit in the minors. I mean, he's 18 years old. He's got an ops over 900. He's walked more than he struck out. He's I think got almost as many. He's got more extra base hits than he has strikeouts. He's got 12 steals, and I'm not saying he's going to be better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. What's interesting is this guy's a shortstop for now, and even if he wanted to move him off the position, you know, it, it's not like Vlad where you're hoping Vlad can be a decent third baseman. I mean, this guy would be a good third baseman. He's a plus runner right now. He, he's got a strong arm. I mean, his his tools are crazy. You know, he was, you know, the the best international guy, international amateur in the 2017-18 signing period, and he, he certainly has played like it ever since the Rays signed him. That uh, you know, when you hear when you hear the uh bat hit the ball or the ball hit the bat, whatever you want to say. You know, some players, when that happens, some players, they make special sounds. You know, Luis Robert comes to mind. Same with this kid. I just listening to – when he got – he had a hold of a couple balls uh, in those games, and it just – it was a very – it was a real, real pretty sound. Yeah, no, he, he – like I said, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of exaggerating, but I'm kind of not when I call yeah. him Vladimir Guerrero the third. I mean, he's, I think, a year from now, like – I think he flies on the radar a little bit, you know, unless you're a real diehard prospect guy, um, you know, because he's only in low A ball and he, was, you know, hadn't played full season ball coming into the year. But I really feel like by the end of this year, beginning of next, we're going to be talking about this guy as a potential superstar. I think your your more casual baseball fans are going to be very aware of this guy. Two other guys, and then we'll get to the White Sox. Two guys that uh, Sox fans will have to watch here, you know, barring a trade or anything for the next ten years or whatever, maybe Casey Mize and Royce Lewis. Uh, Mize, of course, the number one pick last year, and he's been sensational. And Royce Lewis, you know, I haven't paid much attention to him, but for these two guys, uh, what can Sox fans, I guess, uh, look for, you know, in these next couple years when these guys get called up and play against them? Yeah, I mean, I think Casey Mize could probably pitch in the big leagues right now. The Tigers don't have any need to do that because their team, you know, for service time implications, but. You know, I mean, his splitter is probably the most unhittable pitch in the minors, and what's amazing about it is not just so much how much it dances, but the fact that he commands it really well. I mean, you don't usually see guys who can command a splitter, but he can throw it for a strike or he can use it as a chase pitch. I mean, he's got unbelievable combination of stuff and command. He's got a mid-90s fastball with good life. He's got a, a cutter that is kind of a slider. What he calls a cutter is really a true slide, more of a true slider. It's a mid-80s pitch. It's really nasty. And he's got a slider that is more of a kind of a a, cur- a spike curveball maybe. But, like, you know, he's got, you know, four plus or better pitches. He's got plus control. He's ridiculously, ridiculously good. And I think he can pitch in the big leagues right now. You know, Royce Lewis has struggled a little bit this year. Um, the number one overall pick in 17, Mize was at 18. Mm-hmm. You know, he's hitting 225 in, in high class A, but he's still very young for the level at age 20. Um, you know, he, he just, you know, it was interesting. He played well um, there last year and played especially well in the FSL playoffs, Florida State League playoffs. 
and he just struggled this year. I don't know if he's trying to duel too much. He's not commanding the strike zone as well as he had in the past. But I do think this guy who, who's going to be a guy who could, you know, hit 300 and, and be 15 to 20 home runs and, and steal 30-plus bases because he can really run and play very solid shortstop. You know, he's not as, as advanced as Casey Mize is. But, um, you know, he's going to be right. I mean, I had thought about from the perspective that White Sox fans are going to have to contend yeah. with these guys yep. uh, over the next little bit. You know, they're, they're not going anywhere for a while. All right, let's get to the uh, White Sox here. Um, the MLB draft, obviously, last week. Um, and Andrew Vaughn, you know, so Adley goes one, Bobby Witt Jr. goes two. I mean, two for, from everything I've seen or heard, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, two possibly generational talents. I mean, I guess Adley, you know, behind the, the plate, we'll see where he where he adds up. But, uh, you know, Buster Posey-type situation there with a type impact, maybe not necessarily the same, same player, but type impact. And then you've got Bobby Witt Jr., the, the high school kid. Then, then we get to the White Sox, three of the Andrew Vaughn. And I was talking with uh, Keith Law about this yesterday, or I don't even know what today is, Monday, so yeah, yesterday. And I asked him the same question. You know, a lot of Sox fans are people that look at the Sox roster, or it's not Sox roster, but <clears throat> the, the organizational depth chart or whatever you want to call it, and you see Gavin Sheets, and you see possibly Zach Collins going to first, and you see Jake Berger, if he's ever healthy, possibly a corner infielder. And they, they sit there and they, they think, well, why would you take a, an undersized, I'm using air quotes, an undersized right-handed first baseman? And my short answer is the kid can hit. What is your answer? Yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean, that would be silly for fans to think that because, you know, I, I'm not trying to rag on the guys. You know, Gavin Sheets is slugging 367 in AA. So I think it's hard to project Gavin Sheets as a difference maker at the big league level. You know, Zach Collins uh, – you know, I mean, he, Zach Collins hits for power and he draws walks and he strikes out a bunch. And I'm not so sure. I, I think Zach Collins is probably going to wind up as a quasi-regular who plays some at catcher and some at first and some at DH. But, like, it's hard to project Zach Collins as a average hitter at the big league level with a strikeout rate. And I like Jake Berger, but, like, he hasn't played in two years after blowing out his Achilles twice. So, I mean, that's a lot to ask to him. And, and so my answer to them, my long answer would be, you know, Vaughn is a lot better than all those guys. Right. And I, I think when you're picking three, you know, or you're picking anyone in the first round, especially at the top of the draft, you got to pick the best player. And the best player at three was Andrew Vaughn. I mean, he, you talk about generational guys, you know, he's not necessarily a generational catcher, obviously, like Rutschman or generational shortstop like Witt, but he's, he's a generational type hitter. He's one of the best all around hitters I've seen in college baseball in the last. 20 or so years, uh, you know, I've used this line a bunch, but I'll use it again. I think if there's a guy in this draft who's going to hit 300 with 30 home runs every year, it's going to be Andrew Vaughn. And, and, you know, do you wish he hit left-handed or he was bigger or he played a different position? Sure, but if he hits 300 with 30 home runs every year, or let's say he hits 280 with 25 home runs every year, that's fine. Like, exactly. he's a really, really good player. So I, I thought they took the best guy on the board at three, which is the way you should play it, um, you know, rather than, I mean, I know you, you explore deals and you look at options. Well, if we take this guy and we save money, can we do something else here? But I think when you're picking the top of the draft, you can't outsmart yourself. You've got to take the best guy. And Andrew Vaughn just barrels the ball so easily and controls the strike zone so well and, and has a ton of power and just lets it come naturally, and it does. He's, he's a really, really special hitter. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but if you want to think of, like, kind of a smaller right-right first baseman, you know, he could be – I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but I'm just saying that the parallel you could kind of draw is Jeff Bagwell. I mean, I don't think he's going to steal bases like Bagwell did, 
But like that's the type of hitter. He could be a Jeff Bagwell type hitter. Um, he's got that type of physique, um, and he's special. So uh, yeah, I, I like the pick. Um, you know, it's interesting because it, we kind of. I think everybody thought coming into the year, okay, they're going to take Andrew Vaughn, they're going to take Andrew Vaughn. And then they, you, you heard all this C.G. Abrams talk for you know a lot of the spring, and in the end they circled back and they took Andrew Vaughn. Uh, okay, so staying on the Vaughn topic, where <clears throat> well, obviously he has to sign, but what, where do, when do you think he's going to sign? And then once he signs, where do you think he's going to go and how soon? Um, I would think he'd sign pretty quick. I mean, you don't take the guy out there without having an idea of what he's going to cost because right. you've got to lay out what you're going to do for the rest of your draft. So I would think they have a pretty good idea what it's going to cost to take, sign Andrew Vaughn. I mean, I don't know personally whether he's taking his physical yet or not, but um, I don't know. I mean, I would think he'd sign sometime in the next week to 10 days um, and they get him out there. Um, you know, the, the White Sox tend to be a little bit aggressive with their guys. Um I would, you know, maybe they'll do the old, uh, you know, send him to the Arizona League for like three days or whatever to tune up. But I, I would think they probably would do what they did with Madrigal last year, which was, you know, he, he tuned up briefly in Arizona. Um, they went to the Saddle League and, and pretty much, you know, raked, you know, there, you know, for two weeks. I think he, I don't even think he struck out while he was in the Saddle <laughs> League. And they got him to Winston-Salem. So I, I don't know if he'll get to Winston-Salem. You know, right away, if they would do that. I mean, I think you certainly could with Andrew Vaughn. I would think he would get there pretty quick, and he, and he you conceivably could see him in Double A by the end of the year. Um, although I don't know if they, I mean, there's real need to, to rush it. One question I have for you that has nothing to do with the White Sox. I've just been thinking about. Maybe this is a question that is has a, uh, an answer that everyone knows. But obviously, in other sports, you can trade draft picks and you can do all this stuff. So why can't you do that in the Major League Baseball draft? This is going to sound silly, but really the answer, I think, is mainly because that's the way it's always been. I know that's not a great answer, but I think a lot of stuff in baseball in the draft is because that's how they did it in 1965. I mean, you obviously could trade the, the – there's, I think, 14 competitive balance picks, some after the end of the first round, some after the end of the second round, and you could trade those as like a trial balloon. Um, and I don't, I don't know if we'll see that because it's – I mean, I guess we're kind of, like, moving towards doing that. I don't think we'll ever see, like, where you could trade, like, eighth-rounders. Maybe they'll limit it to top two rounds or something. And maybe they'll limit how many years in advance you could trade your picks. But it would be extra currency for teams that are maybe trying to make a move to, to bolster their big league club. It would help the, the, the lesser market teams, the less big revenue teams, you know, have to give them more assets to trade for big league help. But I've also had other people who, who are very fervently believe that if you allow, you know, the full trading and draft picks or – first and second round picks that you would start letting players dictate where they go. Like I'm just pulling this out, you know, hypothetically, you know, let's say Adley Rutschman decided, okay, I want to, you know, he wanted to be a Seattle Mariner because he's from the Pacific Northwest and say, I'm not going to sign unless you trade me to the Mariners. I know there are teams that fervently believe that they think it would give the players too much leverage. So I don't know if we'll see that. Um, but but I think, as silly as it sounds, the answer basically is is because that's the way it's always been. Is the main reason we don't have trading and draft picks. I've always I've always wondered that, and I could never get a straight answer from anyone. Um, let's let's go to the uh, the next three picks, the three high school kids the Sox took. Uh, so I was talking to Hosteller on Thursday, and he said, you know, Matthew Thompson was their guy, and he kind of struggled this spring. So 
That's kind of why he dropped, and they were obviously thrilled that that happened. If he wouldn't have, then there's no way he would have been there. Then they have Dahlquist and then Beard. So starting with Thompson, uh, well, actually, let's go Thompson and Dahlquist. So where do you what do you see out of these two guys? I mean, they're both projectable right-handers. I mean, Thompson's a little bit bigger than Dahlquist, a little bit more projection remaining. I mean, they both can get up to the mid-90s with their fastball. They both have pretty good curveballs at times when they stay on top of it. You can see flashes of a plus curveball. Um, you know, I think you know Thompson probably throws a little bit harder than Dahlquist right now. He's 6'3", 195. Dahlquist is 6'1", 175. Um, both are very athletic. I think they're two of the more athletic high school pitchers, have kind of whippy arm actions um, that people like. And you're right, Thompson did not have a good spring. Um, you know, high school right-handers never go as high as, as they're kind of ranked in the media. So I'm not quite sure that Thompson might not have been there at 45 okay. even if he had a good spring because yep. high school pitchers do tend to fall. Whereas Dahlquist, um, Thompson was a known quality coming into the year. Dahlquist was... You because know, he wasn't as big, and, you know, it's kind of like, I think last summer guys were looking at him like, okay, you know, like the way everything works, he's not real big or physical, he's probably going to have to go to college, and we'll come back in three years, and, and he took a big step forward. And he probably gained, you know, four or five miles an hour maybe with the fastball this spring. So, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, you know, you, you look at what the White Sox have in their system, I mean, they're two of the best Pitching pro, I mean, obviously Dylan Cease, you know, and Kopech are the best pitching prospects, and, and Dunning's hurt, but I mean, they, they in Other my mind, would yeah. slot in right behind those two guys as the next, next best pitching prospects in the system, I think. That's interesting because uh, you think about, uh, actually, you know, we're going to get to that. I want to ask you some questions about some other guys in, a little, in sure. just a second. But uh, so let, let's talk about Beard then. Um, the kid can, can run as, as fast as, as anyone in the world, apparently. And, uh, you know, I guess he's got a little bit of pop to his bat, but is this kid just a pure athlete, or, or what, do they, what do they see in this kid? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty raw. I mean, your Mississippi, State, your Mississippi high school competition isn't the most refined, so, I mean, he's going to be a little bit of a long-term project, but he, he was the fastest player in the draft. He, he clocked a 6-2-1-second, 60-yard dash at a at MLB event last June, and, and he re- can really, really run, obviously. And what I like about him is, you know, he gets compared to Billy Hamilton because he's from Mississippi and he can really run. Um, and, you know, like, but the problem with Billy Hamilton is like, Billy Hamilton can really go play, get the ball in the outfield, and he can run on the bases, but he, he doesn't really do much with the plate. And I think there's more impact in James Beard's bat. I'm not saying he's going to be a 20 home run guy by any means, but he's got some strength. He can backspin the ball. He's got some bat speed. This isn't just going to be a slap and dash guy that guys don't respect Good. the pop. I mean, this is probably a – a 12 to 15 home run guy. So he kind of interests me from that perspective. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I think I might have called him Logan Beard. If I did, I don't I apologize. But anyways, um, so then, there, you know, there's a bunch of other guys. But Hosteller really told me that, you know, this wasn't a draft where they, you know, they were finding a Bernardo Flores or Jimmy Lambert or Cade McClure in the later rounds. And they really just put a premium on these these top four guys. I mean, is this as a draft overall, is that what your kind of your thought was? Um, well, I mean, I think you could play it different ways. I mean, they obviously went all in on their first four picks yeah. and then went seniors for the rest of the top ten rounds where the bonus pool applies. I mean, I, I mean, you could you, you could play it different ways. I mean, I don't think the draft, this draft was that great, you know, once you got past the hitters at the top, you know, in the first round. I thought there were there was some college pitching better depth in the second or third round. I mean, you, you could have gone in different directions. You, you could have perhaps – 
taking guys who would sign closer to slot in the second and third round and then had more money for rounds five through ten. But it's just, you know, you can I – mean, that's kind of the cool thing about the draft. You can really attack it from a bunch of different perspectives, and, and that's the way the, the White Sox decide to go after it. So given what you know about the current state of the Sox, which I guess it really doesn't matter that much, but what they do have in the organization, do you think what they did was what they should have done? Um, that's just really hard to say. I yeah. mean, or the, or the I way they approached it, I guess. Any team, I think if you asked any team, they would do a draft differently than any other team. Okay. And, and as a media guy, like, yes, I would have taken Andrew Vaughn at three. I probably would have taken, I mean, we ranked Matthew Thompson the 69th best player in the draft. Now, and granted, there were some guys ahead of him who probably weren't signable. So, like, me personally, I probably would not have taken Matthew Thompson at 45, especially if I'm paying him over slot and it's sacrificing money elsewhere. But, I mean, that's, again, I mean, draft people, everybody views the players differently. So, we, we actually had Dahlquist ranked slightly ahead of Matthew Thompson. But, so, no, I'm not, I'm not critical of what they did. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily would have, would have gone, you know, all in on two high school projectable right-handers. But, again, you look at the White Sox system, they need pitching. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, the, the system is, is full of, of basically corner outfielders right now. Um, and, you know, they need pitching, and that's the way they decide to go after it. I mean, they, they went for high-ceiling guys, more, more ceiling than floor. Um, so, uh, you know, they, that's just the way they chose to attack it. So where does uh, – okay, so obviously your midseason top 100 comes out during the middle of the season, but what is, what is like a, a date or timetable for that? It usually comes out – it usually comes out like a week or so before the trade deadline. Okay. Um, so we have another month and out. change left then. Yeah, we may tweak it. We we often tweak it this time of year, um, uh, like 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 a week or so after the draft. Well, we won't do wholesale changes, but we'll kind of reorganize the top fifteen, um, and uh, and then look at guys who maybe need to move up or down ten spots. Okay. Um, not just hey, we're moving a guy from thirty-seven to thirty-four, um, <laughs> but we're just. Now we're recovering from the draft, so we haven't <laughs> talked about that. So I don't know okay. if that'll be a this week project or a next week project. The the minor tweaking. We'll get. I'm gonna get to the sock system here in just a second. But after you know talking about Vaughn and these rankings, where do you where do you kind of foresee him in that top 100? Yeah, well, he, he won't be in our slight tweaking because okay. we wait until after the deadline signing deadline, July 12th, to include the Got to it. include the, uh, the 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 draftees. What I'm trying to say. I mean, he'll he'll clearly be. The best first base prospect in baseball. I don't even think that's any. I mean, I think Ryan Mountcastle is our top guy right now, hmm. and he's at number sixty or so. Um, I have not really given this a lot of thought, but I mean, I think you can make a case that you know Adley Rutschman probably you know is in the top fifteen somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you give some weight to guys who've gone out and done it in pro ball, but ultimately you're projecting these guys long term. Yeah. So you know he's pretty talented, and I would think Bobby Witt Jr. and and um, and Vaughn would probably fit, you know, maybe in the the twenty to thirty, twenty to thirty five range somewhere. All right, let's uh, let's go to some of the current guys. Um, you know, uh, Dylan Cease. I actually spoke with Dylan uh, today. Did a quick interview with him, and it's it's you know it's kind of you know everybody's human. You know that he wants to get up there as soon as possible. But um, what do you think is I mean, I guess it's anyone's guess. Han said it's not going to be too much longer today in a press conference. But what are your thoughts on what Dylan's done this season, and what do you think uh, a, a safe uh, timetable is for him? Well, again, it's 
tough because of the whole service time considerations yeah. thing. I mean, I, I would guess we probably won't see him before August. I mean, his numbers aren't, you know, aren't as awesome as they were last year. You know, he's got a 4-1-0 ERA, you know, 59 strikeouts and 53 innings, but also 54 hits and 22 walks. But his defense, the, the AAA numbers are all out of whack this year. I mean, <laughs> anybody who doesn't think that the Major League Baseball has something going on with it, just look at the AAA numbers because this year – the International League and the PCL both switched to the Major League Ball. And if you look at the numbers, the AAA leagues are producing like 30 or 40% more offense than the rest of the minor leagues, and it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so I would suggest that, like, even though Dylan's numbers aren't great, I mean, they're basically playing, you know, they're, they're throwing, like, you know, basically billiard balls with seams painted on them, yeah. and, you know, it, it's kind of ridiculous. So I, I think in that context, you know, his year actually looks better than the raw numbers would would look. I mean, I think the key with him is going to be control and command. And you know, he's he, you know, you, you like to see him walk, you know, cut the walks some more, and maybe look at his pitches a little bit better. So I I think legitimately the White Sox could say for developmental reasons we don't think he's ready yet. Um, but you know, if he improves, I mean, Kopech kind of went through the same thing early last year, and then was up in the big leagues in August. So I I would say August at the earliest. But again, I mean, it stinks to say this, they're not going to contend this year. Uh, so why bring him up and start a service time clock ticking? Uh, like I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. I mean I know they're they're kind of on the fringes of 500, but I don't really see them you know being a realistic wild card contender for the long term. You're breaking the hearts of everyone listening, Jim, by saying we're not contenders. So um, no, <laughs> honestly, obviously, realistically, you uh, you can't get to 500. You're not. Uh, yeah, you don't need to be. You don't need to be in that conversation. I- I mean, I mean, basically, to, to make the playoffs, they're going to have to finish ahead of at least two of the Rays, the Red Sox, the Indians, and I just don't see that happening. No, it's that's a very tough road, um, especially when you've got guys like Ivan Nova, um, Benuelos, and Kobe when he's not hurt, and it's just not, it just doesn't look, for as good as Giolito's been, and Flashes we see a Lopez. You still got three out of the other five nights where it's it's anybody's guess. So um, moving moving on to uh, a guy that you know we've we've raved about and um, you know I saw his you know his debut last year uh, when he played at Hickory and that's Luis Robert. This kid is just he's lived up to every expectation thus far in my book and probably more. And he does everything on the baseball field, five-tool talent. So what do you think uh, of Luis Robert right now? I mean, you know, two months ago, we didn't know what we were going to have because he wasn't healthy last year, and we, we needed to see that. So now we've got two months under our belt, so to speak. So what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, he, I think he's showing why the White Sox paid $26 million in bonus money and $26 million in tax penalties to sign him. I mean, the, the tools he's showing us are the tools we were told he had when they signed him. And he was, you know, kind of banged up in his pro debut, and he missed a lot of time last year, and even had a hamstring strain early in the fall league last year. And, you know, I, I will say, and you can't read too much in a fall league performance, but when he got over the hamstring injury in the second half of the fall league season last year, he, he looked pretty exciting. I, I thought he had the best combination of bat speed and foot speed in the league. So it was pretty impressive. But, again, I mean, I want to say, if I, without looking at it, I don't think he homered last year, right, in the minors. I, mean, I know he didn't play a full season, but I don't think he had a home run in the minor leagues last season. Um, 
And so it's like, okay, you know, like we're, we're seeing flashes of here in the fall league. Now, you know, show me something during the season. And, I mean, he's, you know, been very impressive. You know, he's, you know, on pace for, I think, like a 30-30 season at this point. He's in 366, and his on base is over 400. And he's showing you that electrifying power and speed. And, uh, no, I mean, I, I think he's... He, he, like I said, a he he's shown exactly what the White Sox saw when they when they shelled out fifty two million to get him, and B I, I don't think there's any question he, he's one of the the elite prospects in baseball right now. So in terms of okay, so they gave him the twenty six they they needed twenty six to sign him, and then twenty six extra. But was there a contract? What was the contract? It's just there is no con- It's like if you okay. sign out of the draft, he got a a twenty six million dollars signing bonus. Um, because they changed the rules. Like, he, he was ineligible to sign a big league contract right, like they would have done in the past, where you would have signed him and, and you, know, th- you know, that money went to him. So it's, uh, you know, Mikata did the same thing. I think Mikata was $31.5 million, if I remember correctly, and the Red Sox paid that matching tax. It was just the, the rules at the time. And they've since changed the rules. Now you can't, you have your bonus pull internationally. You know, it's funny. Before, I think they thought people would just adhere to the bonus pools. Like, the only penalty was you had to pay like a matching penalty in tax if you went over your pool, and they underestimated that, hey, teams will be willing to, to do this. You know, like, you know, if it wasn't for the rule, they'd probably have paid Luis Robert $52 million. Right. But as it turned out, hey, you know, we'll pay $52 million, but, um, you know, we got to pay 26 to MLB, so you only get 26 But, yeah, it's, it's just the system's changed now, and, and we won't see those kind of bonuses. You know, I mean, the team's pools are like a quarter of that now. So let me ask you this. Uh, is there any type of way – that they do some sort of an extension like they did with Eloy and have him start in, next year. I mean, if he continues this and ends in Charlotte, I, I, well, I, I do you see? I don't know if that's realistic, but is there a way they might extend him to to kind of do what they did with Eloy? I would pump the brakes on a little bit because okay. as great a year as he's having, and it's a great year, he's striking out five times as much as he walks. <laughs> and I don't think you need to have Luis Robert in the big leagues next year. Like I think that could be detrimental. Um, and again, I don't know if they're necessarily really going to contend next year. Um, so I certainly think you could give him some AAA time next year rather than rushing him and, and sign him to the contract to not worry about the service time. Um, you know, he, he, like I said, it is a tremendous, tremendous year. Um, but at the same time, you know, AA, he's got 33 strikeouts and, and seven walks, and that's something he's going to have to tighten up. So, um, you know, I, I, I think – He's more of kind of like a mid-season 2020 type guy um, would be the most realistic scenario or, or the or most realistic early scenario. Kind of talk about Zach Collins a little bit and, and Gavin Sheets. So let's talk about the uh, the glut of outfielders. Obviously, Adolfo hurt again, which that really sucks. But and Basabe has been hurt a little bit as well. But Rutherford, Gonzalez, um, Walker, those guys. I mean, those are your, obviously your big your big three with Adolfo out. Um, is I mean they're all kind of they're all having stretches where it's like okay maybe you know they're doing all right but then then they come back down to earth or you know whatever it may be it, it's been has, has any of those guys have any of those guys kind of set themselves apart in your eyes yet or what are we what are we looking at with these guys? No, I don't think they have. I mean, and Basabi's more of a center fielder, but you could throw him in there too and still Walker. I mean, you know, you know I think Luis Robert is well ahead of all those guys. I mean. It's been a weird year for the White Sox system because really outside of – if you were sorting guys into exceeding expectations, meeting expectations, underperforming expectations, yep. slash injured, I know from looking at our White Sox top 30, you have Luis Robert exceeding expectations, 
I don't know if there's another player you would say is exceeding expectations. I don't think there is. And then of the other 29 guys, there might be four or five that you would say, oh, they're living up to expectations. And most of the guys have been somewhat disappointing to some extent this year. It's just it's a very weird year. And, you know, and you, like I said, you, you, you got Luis Robert who's having a great year. And you have that Basabe, Adolfo, Rutherford, Gonzalez, Steel Walker group. And, you know, Steel Walker got off to a great start in low A. But since he's gotten to high A, like, none of those guys is really hit. So it's just, it's, their system confounds me a little bit right now, trying yeah, to figure yeah. out what to make of it. I mean, I know they've been hurt, but, I mean, those five outsourcers I just talked about have combined for nine, for nine home runs this year. Jimmy Lambert was ha- was having a good season, you know, until he went down. Um, Flores had a good start, but uh, a couple other guys I want to ask you about. Then we'll wrap this up. We could, you know, talk for hours. But oh, and then uh, talk to Tyler Johnson today. He's finally throwing back off the mound in, in games, so it'll be good to get him back. But some of these other these other three guys, um, in my eyes, maybe have done the best. Connor Pilkington, uh, Stever, and then uh, someone who's not ranked in your top thirty, and that's Cade McClure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pellington's had a decent year. I mean, he's walking a bunch of guys, which yeah. he's not going to be able to get away with. I I like all those guys. You know, Stever, you know, he's given up 75 hits in 66 innings, so it's not like he's missing a ton of bats. Mm-hmm. I don't have McClure's on the front. I mean, I like all those guys. I mean, realistically, like, you can, I guess, hope that, that Pilkington might be a number three starter, but they're, they're all probably number fours and fives. Um, you know, I, I would put Pilkington and Stever and guys on our top 30 who've kind of, Met expectations. I wouldn't say they've exceeded them, um, but I, you know those are some of the best pitching prospects in the system. But I don't think those are guys you're going to point to and say, "Oh, you know those guys are going to be in the in the front half of our rotation someday." But on the other hand, you know you got Cease Kopech and, and Giolito. Maybe they don't necessarily need that. So maybe just to fill out the rotation. I mean those those three guys. You throw Jimmy Lambert in there. And we're not going to project Dahlquist and Thompson because they're 18 right now. But, you know, these, these other guys, I mean, those are guys that you potentially can see filling out the back of a rotation then on a, on a, on a playoff team, so to speak? Maybe. I mean, okay. the, the, the tough thing with pitchers, and not to, not to throw water on this, right. is like I remember when I started Baseball America 30 years ago, and Paul Snyder, legendary scout of the Braves, had an expression that you basically need 10 good pitching prospects to find two good pitchers. And, you know, I like Kopech and Cease a lot, but, you know, they're not a lot. You know, I mean, Kopech's coming back for Tommy John. You know, Cease, you know, still needs to refine his control. It's not like those guys are, are slam dunk, you know, you know, front, you know, front line starters. I mean, they both have things they still have to figure out. And, you know, Giolito's pitching great right now. I mean, and, and it looks real. I'm not trying to poo-poo that. <laughs> but, like, we've been through this before where yeah. there have been stretches where Giolito looks pretty good. And then he looks terrible for a time. You know, so, like, I, 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 I mean, look, the guy's having a great year. You know, am I 100% convinced that Giolito, you know, this is his new level performance? I wouldn't say that. I, I'm optimistic because, I mean, you can look at the pitches and the quality and all that. And, I mean, it, it looks real. But, like, it's just, like, like, with pitching, you just need pitching, pitching, and more pitching. You need both because, you know, there's just so much attrition. I mean, like, a year ago, it looked like Reynaldo Lopez – like, Giolito was a mess, and Reynaldo Lopez was going to be the guy. And this year, Lopez is getting knocked all over the place. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's no way. There's, nobody can predict baseball. It's just a, it, there's just so many things that go into it. It's, it's, it's crazy, but that's why it's, uh, that's why it's fun. 
Hi, Jim. Um, is there anybody we did not talk about, whether it was the draft or the system right now, that we need to keep an eye on? No, I mean, nobody jumps out. I mean, I, I think the White Sox are going to be try to be aggressive and sign some guys after the 10th round, um, you know, in the draft. You know, like, I, I don't think they're just looking at we got the four guys up top and, and all of our college seniors. I think they're going to try to be aggressive after the 10th round. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. I mean, putting their top 30 when we do our, our full midseason update, like I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of a challenge because – you know, the, the, that glut of outfielders in the middle, and nobody's really separating themselves. I'll, I'll, I'm kind of curious to uh, <laughs> to see what I come up with when yeah. we get to that point also. All right, we will look for that. And you said towards the end of July then? Yeah, we usually try to have that in place, um, say, a week or so before the trade deadline or at least a few days before the trade deadline, just with the idea of um, – you know, that way when guys get traded, we'll, we'll have fresh rankings on them so they'll, they'll, they'll have them where they should be. Last thing, real quick. Is there any other prospect in baseball we have not talked about that, you know, that might be – is on the fringe of coming up that baseball fans need to know about? Um, let me think about that for a second. Um, I, you know, I don't have a great answer for that one because, okay. I mean, like, I feel like we've ranked our guy. Like, we 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 kind of tweaked our top 100 like uh, a month ago, and so I feel like guys are kind of ranked. I mean, I well, I'll give you one that, that he's having another good year. I mean, Gavin Lux might be your next Dodgers rookie who really makes an impact. You know, Wisconsin product. Um, you know, had great year last year in the minors. He, he led all minor league shortstops in, in the in the three slash categories. You know, hitting on base and slugging and. He's just 21, and he's had another strong year in Double A, and, and he could be our next Dodger. We see, uh, you know, Dodger Farhan making an impact. All right, Jim, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, great talking to you, and uh, do it again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you.